I want to ask you a question this morning about your memory. And just kind of look at the screen here. Which word would you use to describe your memory? Some of you are married to someone with a photographic memory, and that's annoying. Okay? That's just, that's, that has to be annoying. I mean, that's just like, no, actually you said this. Ah! You know, you're probably right. Um, and some of you might be married to someone who it's more like a dark room. You know, <laughs> there's just very few facts that really stick around for long and all of that. Um, Memory is an interesting thing. On your, on your bulletin this morning, we're going to talk about remember me and all of that. And um, as I thought about just memories and, uh, and all of that, there's, there's a certain level of cost that comes with forgetting things. And I want you to think, I'm not going to ask you to share so you can think about honest things. Um, but when was the last time your memory cost you something? And maybe it's a funny story where you go, yeah, you know, I forgot this and it was kind of a funny thing. But maybe it was a pretty serious thing and it wasn't, it wasn't so funny. It was kind of painful. Uh, we could probably all identify with this next picture where we ourselves or someone has been driving around with something on their car. Um, I was responsible when I was a bank teller to bring the birthday cake for someone's birthday one time. And uh, so I put it on top of my Ford Escort and um, took off for work and... <laughs> I was driving down Lawrence Expressway, and because I had surf racks on my car, the cake, I think, had slid to the back and stayed there. But as I turned on to 280 in my rearview mirror, I just see this cake just tumbling. I'm like, oh, yeah, the cake. <laughs> so we didn't have cake that time. Um, but sometimes things are bigger. And, you know, you look at some things and you go, well, how could you forget that? You know, And it's not only unsightly, it could be really embarrassing to forget the big things in life. Um, but sometimes, you know, we all, we all kind of do this. I was thinking about this, you know, what is it for you that, that reminds you to remember? Um, I've got this thing called a wedding ring and, uh, sometimes I just look down at my wedding ring and it makes me think of really, really important things. And it's just a physical reminder that's right there all the time. And I kind of play with it sometimes and I pull it off sometimes. And it's just this reminder of that day that I was given this ring. And it's almost been lost several times, but this is the actual ring. And so I sit here and I look at that. Birthdays do the same thing, don't they? They're, they're formal days where we say, I celebrate you being on this earth. Uh, one of the things about my job, my calling, is I get to be a part of funerals. And those are other days where you really are at a funeral. You're reminded to remember really, really important things. And I always come away from a funeral in a different mindset, in a different mode than I do, let's say, a, a, a wedding or some other kind of graduation party or whatever. We need to be reminded to remember um, things sometimes. And uh, we've been in this series called Demanding. And um, this one's a little bit interesting because uh, I, I think there is this element that to remember Jesus in all things is demanding, isn't it? It's challenging. And we get distracted by the most petty things sometimes. And we kind of get off track pretty easily. So in that sense, it really is demanding. And, and a lot of these, you know, you could couch it in terms of saying, well, Jesus doesn't demand anything from us. He doesn't give us commands. He invites us into things. And I think that, that both can be true. But as you read the scriptures, there's other things where you go, it's an invitation, but it's an invitation with severe consequences. It's kind of like, you know, you know my dad would come in Saturday morning and say, you know, hey, it's time for chores. We're going to go mow the lawn. And my, my response would be, do I have to? My dad would say, oh, you don't have to. But you don't get to eat and you don't get to live here. And, you know, and I go, OK, so it's, you know, it's an invitation, right, to do chores. 
but, it, but it's really a command. He's, he's demanding that of me. And, and so um, it would be really more PC to say Jesus invites us. And I think he does. There's a gracious element to this. It's a relationship he wants us in. But he's also our parent. He's our heavenly father. And so there's this, there's this some of them are just, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm inviting you into this, but it's really a, a demand. Um, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to kind of stay in, in two uh, two passages of scripture here this morning. And while you're turning, I want to just give you some, backer, some background on this. Some of you are really familiar with the word sacraments. And sacraments is a word that we actually, in English, translated directly from Latin. Because we, we couldn't find a better word, so we just left it as sacraments. And if you hear the word sacraments, you're not helped by the, the, um, the Latin word sacramentum. That sounds like sacramento to me. That doesn't help with the definition. Like, what does that mean? But let me tell you what the Greek word translated is. The, the, the Greek word for sacramentum in Latin is the word mysterion, which is where we get our word mystery. So if you talk about the sacraments, you're really talking about the mysteries. And it's, it's like built into what we're celebrating this morning with communion is this, is this mystery element to things. There's two that really we see in the scriptures that rise to the front. One is baptism. And we love to celebrate baptism. In fact, in your bulletin this morning, there's a class coming up next Sunday um, where we're going to just invite you to, to follow the Lord in, in baptism and make a public profession of your faith. And in baptism, the Christian participates in this new identity that sets them apart as now a member of the bride of Christ, a member of the body of Christ. And it's this, it's this physical sign. And it's this thing that, that goes on and that we celebrate. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like, um, like your wedding day. Now, there's a wedding day and there's a, there's, a, there's a ceremony that goes with a wedding, correct? But what's more important, the ceremony that goes on or this marriage covenant that is being formed that day? The marriage covenant is, right? The wedding day is important and the wedding ceremony is important, but those are kind of signs that point to something bigger. Think about a freeway. If you're going to Great America... And you see a sign for Great America, your kids don't want to stop and go, let's, let's go to the sign and hang out at the sign and think the sign is super important. The sign is vastly important, but what's infinitely more important is the reality that it points to. And so it is with communion. So it is with baptism. For the sake of time, we're not going to, we're not going to focus as much on baptism this morning, although both baptism and communion have this sense of remember me to it. Communion allows for our continued participation of what it means to be united with Christ in a very tangible kind of a way. Um, I, I would kind of think of it like this. Baptism might be the, the, the wedding ceremony, where in a wedding ceremony, just like in a baptism, vows are given, commitments are made, public proclamations are said, and it's a one-time deal. And then you can kind of think of communion as date night, right? That's where you're continually pursuing oneness, and you're going after it on an ongoing basis. It doesn't happen one time but it goes on regularly. If the only time you're seeking unity and oneness in marriage is on date night, you're in a world of hurt. That's not what it's about. But those structured times of date night are really, really important as well. So it is with our communion. This isn't the only way that we express our union with Christ. But it's an important reminder that Jesus left for the church to say, I want you to hold something. I want you to taste something. And I want you to be reminded that you're mine. And it's a little bit like this wedding ring. It's something you can touch with this kind of mystery around it. So we're going to kind of dive into that. Now, one of the things that I love doing, because I have two older brothers, um, is I love to learn from their mistakes. 
And um, I'm getting better and better at learning from older people's mistakes so that I don't have to try and learn everything the hard way myself. Um, it's a work in progress. I'll just say that. But, um, but one of the things we can do is learn from our older brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's a part of what the, the, the Bible's about, really. You read the Old Testament, you read the stories, and you go, those knuckleheads. Then you find yourself doing the same thing. And so you can read and you see yourself as like this mirror and you go, yeah, that reminds me of me. What I want to do is read for you a passage where communion, um, instead of being what Jesus intended it to be, it had gotten really skewed. It was way over here. And so God prompts the Apostle Paul to go and say, you've got to straighten these people out. They're way over in left field with communion. And so that's really what we're going to read about um, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, starting in verse 17, says this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. That's just starting bad right there. Okay. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. He goes on to say this, for I received from the Lord, for, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning we would have a sense, God, that we enter into a mystery when we participate in communion. I pray, God, that you would enlighten us and show us uh, what we need to know and what we need to learn about what it means to remember you. And God, it's only for our good that we remember you in all circumstances. And this morning at the outset, we confess that we don't and that we need your grace just to call to mind those things which are most important. I pray that you would do that this morning. Amen. Communion is commanded. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? There are there are ceremonies and feasts that are commanded for God's people all through the Old Testament. And he says, you will do this. And he's saying, you will remember your anniversary, so to speak. We're married. We're this intimate bride and groom. And you are to do this in remembrance of me. One of the things about communion is is it's, it's the Lord's table. And so as the Lord's table, we want to come to communion and this this um, this sacrament, this mystery that has caused division in the church for centuries. Um, really, really what we want to do is come back and say, what does the, the host of the table have to say about it? If you're a guest at a table, you kind of look to cues for your host, don't you? You wouldn't just jump in and start serving like, let me carve the turkey. You know, that would just be kind of rude. Um, you probably wouldn't get invited back if you do that. So what you do is you kind of, you kind of look for cues for the person who's, who's the head of that home or, or the person who's hosting it. 
And so as the Lord's table, we want to do the same thing. We want to look to what are Jesus' cues, what are Jesus' parameters for communion that, that we're to be um, participating in. I think he commands this because he knows that each one of us, like sheep, has gone astray. We're prone to forget. And we're not just prone to forget things at the grocery store. We're prone to forget really massive truths, like life-altering truths that sometimes days can turn into weeks and weeks can turn into months and years where we just have forgotten our way and we kind of get way off track. And because we're prone to forget, I think he commands this. It's also commanded um, that so, so that we can worship by not only remembering him, but proclaiming his death as the first priority. One of the things that we want to be about as a church is we want to keep first things first. And we are going to keep on talking about the gospel. We're going to keep saying that as, as the, the utmost importance. Because that's what defines us as a church. That's what defines us as a mission. And in communion, there's a looking back element to it for sure as we remember the cross. But some people who haven't heard the full story just think that's what it's about. Yeah, we're commemorating a guy who died 2,000 years ago. But it's so much more than that. Every time we do this, we're proclaiming the Lord's death and we're anticipating his return. We're anticipating his, his completion of, of setting creation aright. And not only does it paint our past and our future, but it really, it really paints things for our present right now. It helps us live in the present reality. And it even kind of gives a, a filter or a lens for our circumstances today and say, man, this is what's really important. You know where this comes out? Whenever someone gets in a car accident, in fact, that was a, it was a really moving kind of a thing that I heard. Um, this, this, uh, this kid got in a car accident, called, called mom and dad in the middle of the night, and he said, hey, this is probably the last phone call you, you, you really want to hear right now. And that is that I've you know, gotten in a wreck. And the dad's relating the story to me, and with tears in his eyes, he said, no, this is, this is the first phone call I would want to get, meaning your voice on the other end of this line, and that you're okay. And, the, and, the, and the, the cars can be replaced, but you're sitting here talking to me. All of a sudden you go, how big is a scratch on your car? Minuscule. You don't care about cars. How important is it that your loved one's talking to you on the other end and not a police officer? Massive. So we worship him by remembering him as the first party. Sometimes in churches what happens is we went through the book of John, for instance, and we're looking at small portions of Scripture. As long as we can get like this, we can get really narrow and focused in on some topic. And we don't step back like this and just kind of see the, the forest for the trees. Instead, we're kind of locked into it to one thing. And as we celebrate communion, we are constantly coming back and saying, look, let's not get sidetracked and, and little, you know, little side arguments over here. Let's remember this, this first important thing. Charles Spurgeon said this, the marvel of heaven and earth of time and eternity is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. This is the mystery that brings more glory to God than all of creation. And here it is, simple, right in front of us this morning. So simple, in fact, you could just kind of overlook this and not really think of it as very glorious at all. And you could think, man, Yosemite blows doors on this right here. And yet there's something going on that we're about to participate in. Here's what it's not about. We already kind of learned from this passage, again, learning from older brothers and sisters in the faith. It's not about filling up on free food. Okay, kind of our tradition anyways. That's a really bad idea because we usually offer small little portions like this. And like, you know, you're trying to swipe a couple extra pieces of bread. 
would just look really funky. But here's what this is like a little bit. You get invited to a wedding and you're like, sweet buffet, you know, open bar. And you go there and you just make a buffoon of yourself because it's not about the wedding or the people or the joy or the celebration. But you're there for the free food. And, and as, as ludicrous as that sounds, that's where church had gotten in Corinth. People were coming up. And I mean, I can just see this. I've seen this in China. It's actually quite fascinating. Um, we were we were warming up um, to do this revival service in this rural part of China. And um, some of this is cultural, but um, someone showed up with like the song sheets and the guy comes walking in and there's about 400 people here an hour early. And they start like this. They're like elbowing. I mean, grandmas are in there like nudging in to like reach in and grab one of the song sheets. And I'm just going, man, we sound good this morning, man. These people want to jam. Um, but the, the cultural thing is, is that that's how you do it. You just get right in there. And if you're this kind of polite American, you, some of you have traveled a little bit and you go, you'll never get on the train. You'll just stand there all day long uh, and, and, and not a gin. So it's not that because that's cultural and people are like everyone was OK with that. I thought the riot police were going to come to the revival. I've never seen that before, but but they were all fine with that. But but it would be culturally different here, wouldn't it be? If, if, if as a church, a people of God that are supposed to be serving one another, that are supposed to be considering other people as more important than themselves, have degraded down to shoving to get in first. Now, we might be OK, because I haven't ever seen in our church so far in almost four years, any of you kind of nudge in and have a big fight about who gets first. But how about our parking lot? How about at the welcome lunch? That's a really great place to, to try and say, we're going to put other people first. We're going, to, we're going to think of other people as more important than ourselves. How about at, at a camp out? Going camping with people is a great way to get to know them. You get to see them for a season of time. We're going to head to Mexico this summer. And when you're there, those are opportunities to go first and take the best and get the most shade. Or to say, Lord, for you, I'm going to put my brother's needs above my own. I'm going to think of my sister as actually more important than myself. So there's all kinds of opportunity here to, to, to grow in this. It's also not about bread, wine, and grapes. These are signs. These are tangible, tasteable things that Jesus said, I want you to have these because you're going to need these to remember this is a walk of faith. And it can be really hard not seeing with your tangible eyes some things. But it really isn't about these elements. They're the signs. They're the pointers. And the reality that's beyond it is so much more uh, important. It's also not about ritual, magic formulas, or, or, or anything like that. Um, some people uh, just have been trained and taught that, man, I, I, I missed communion this week or I really want to be in there on communion week because I have some sins I need forgiven. And that's that's poor theology is what that is. Uh, we had a person that, that wanted prayer here at the church and she said, my husband says that you can you can really talk to God and pray any time. Um, but I've always felt I was raised in such and such a tradition and I've always felt uh, more at ease with 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 someone helping me talk to the big guy is how she put it. And I, I said to her, I said this, I said, well, I said, your husband's absolutely right. You can talk to God any time, but I'd be more than happy to, 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 to pray with you. And, uh, and so it is with this, is that sometimes I think people bring baggage and bring other things to communion that aren't true. It's not a magic formula. Just like baptism, there's nothing magical in the water. We don't sprinkle certain things in there that wash you clean. There's a mystery to it that isn't, that isn't the doing of people. Here's what it is about. It is about remembering. That's a big part of what we do when we come and celebrate the Lord's table. It is about forgiveness of sin in the church. God's to us and us to one another. But it can happen and it better happen 
without elements involved also. Again, kind of like date night. Date night should happen, but that better not be the only time you're seeking oneness in your relationship with a spouse. It is about communing with Jesus. He said, remain in me. Remember this from John 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And it is about a proclamation of our hope in Christ's return. Charlie Hall has this great song. It says this, let my life shine. Come and let my heart shine. We're going to walk the world, lift the bread and wine. Like the stars shine, come and let our hearts shine. In a dark world, we lift the bread and the wine. Now, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about being salt and being light. And as we come and as we celebrate communion, as we find something meaningful in these two elements, that's different to a watching world, isn't it? And it's not just about being in here. The, the, the title of the song is Walk the World. In other words, we come in here, remember, not to stay in here in our religious ceremony, but to be on mission and to be shining lights to a dark world. Finally, it's an ongoing reminder of the big picture, which we already talked about a little bit. Flip over, over in, in uh, John chapter 6. And uh, several months ago, we were in the book of John. And, um, and as I was looking at communion and, and diving into this, it's just so powerful how different portions of Scripture come alive at, at different times. And you take John 6, where it's one of his I am statements, where he says, I am the bread of life. And that was one of his I am statements that he said. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to take you back. Some of you were here for the John series, so you're going to see a couple familiar slides. But I just want to kind of rattle off some things that we pointed out as we went through this portion of Scripture. And I want to overlay it onto this First Corinthians passage as we're looking at, at the Lord's Supper. Now, uh, in, in John uh, chapter 6, look at verse 51. And in verse 51, Jesus says the following. He says, I am the living bread. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, if you read on the rest of the story, he really he really ramps that up even more. And is freaking people out like cannibalism. And they don't know what he's talking about a little bit. And that's that's just like Jesus. Also, just like Jesus is this, though, to take something so mysterious and so grand as our eternal salvation and, and eternal life, and to kind of boil it down to something as simple and as common and as mundane as bread. It's just like Jesus. That's how he taught. He, he, just, he flung the doors wide open to make it accessible. This statement ramped things up by saying, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Communion is Christ offering to his bride his very self. It's a moving participation in the mystery of God's redeeming work in history. Now, let me just kind of quickly go through a few things that we looked at back when we were talking in, in John 6. And I want you to think of kind of the complexities and layers to communion, some of which you may have thought about, some of which may be, may be new to you. But it's this divine portrait as you start to look into some of these symbols. And as we are going to go through baptism class next week, there's so much more there than standing there getting wet getting back up and walking out of the out of the baptistry. And Jesus left this for it to be universally accept, um, accessible. Five things in comparing eating and saving faith. OK, that's where we're going. You don't have to drive these down. You can just kind of look. Hey, there's the word. Remember. All right. Here's number one. Food is useless unless it's eaten. And so spiritual truth does no good unless it is internalized. 
Here's the point of this. You could go to a restaurant as a starving person and walk out and die because you didn't eat. It doesn't matter if you go there. The food all around you is useless unless you eat it. So it is with church. Hundreds of people, thousands of people, potentially millions of people this morning are in a church like a starving person in a restaurant. They're not internalizing spiritual truth. They're not eating. They're just there. And much like people who would, who would go to a restaurant and not eat, that's the same thing. The condition is set. Only those who eat this bread get the eternal life. Look at verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That's conditional, isn't it? Unless. So it's not just enough to kind of be here. Don't make the mistake that hearing or memorizing truth is the same as believing and acting on truth. Let me say that again. Don't make the mistake that hearing and memorizing truth is the same as believing and acting on truth. It's the same thing as having a plate of food in front of you and getting nothing from it. Even though you may have made it, you could tell every ingredient about it. You could tell what cut of the meat it is. But it's doing you no good. The only belief that really matters is belief that you're willing to act on. So we can say a lot of things in church. We can quote the right things. How was the meal? It was wonderful. It was a little tough. We can make all kinds of things. But if we haven't really internalized it and eaten it, it does no good. Here's the second thing, that eating is prompted by hunger. I wonder if in this room we could just, uh, we could just kind of you know, uh, call out some answers about those things that we've gone after to fill ourselves up, to fill up hungers that we have in ourselves that, that just didn't satisfy. My hunch would be this, that those of us who are older and older would have probably more answers to offer than some of those who are younger because we've lived more life and maybe have had a, a little bit more opportunity to fill up on the wrong things. My question for you is, do you fill up on sin? Do you fill up on self-righteousness or do you fill up on Jesus? And there's certainly more categories than that. But, but, but sin is just those who are blatantly scoffers at, at religion and God and everything. They're just blatantly in their sin. And we all know people like that. Self-righteousness are those people who are filling up on good works and showing up in church. Maybe they're sitting in, in service this morning. And, and you've tried that before where you just you, you try to fill up on this and do good religious things. And certainly this could be one of those things. But it's frustrating, isn't it, when you play that game and you're still left empty. And you're like, man, I could be messing around like the scoffer over here and maybe having more fun. And they look pretty empty, but I feel empty as well. And then there's filling up on Jesus, and there's a mystery to how all that plays together. Some people are too distracted to realize that they're hungry. You ever do this? You ever just work through lunch, and you're like, man, I'm starting to turn into a bear. I'm, I'm kind of hungry, you know? And, and you just work right through. And sometimes that smell of food will just be like, oh. And you're, so you're like, I'm so hungry all of a sudden. And so it is with us spiritually. Sometimes we just, we're, we're too distracted. We're too entertained by things. And we're just kind of cruising through life. We're looking forward to the wrong things. And, and we, we just don't even realize how spiritually hungry we are. Sometimes God just drops something in our lap to kind of wake us up to that. And it's like it's the smell of food, real food. And you go, man, I am ravenous. Verse 57 says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Feeding on Jesus. Number three is this. The food you eat becomes a part of you. And so it is spiritually. 
Now, if you were to take a piece of cheese right now and just kind of smear cheese on my body, that would just be gross and kind of weird, okay? But it's not very mysterious at all. Basically, you go, that's disgusting. You wash the cheese off, and no one goes away thinking that's, you know, in fact, marvelous or mysterious. However, just catch this. If I eat the cheese, right, there's now any morsel of food that you put in your body, there's this mystery to it that it somehow becomes a part of you, right? And, and, and you get to use part. And it's this mystery that goes on in there. And even though we study it and kind of know about it, it is mysterious. It's far more mysterious than just having it kind of on you or around you. And so it is spiritually. Look at verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. There's this, there's this meshing going on. This intimacy that's created. And Jesus is using this metaphor of bread saying, eat me. And I'm going to remain in you. And you're going to remain in me. And there's going to be this, this connection there. You can admire Christ. You can study his life. You can even be around Christ for long periods of time and not be one with him. Him not in you, you not in him. You know who did that? The Pharisees, the crowds. Many Roman soldiers were around him a lot. Probably heard him teach a lot. But there wasn't, there wasn't this connection. Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That ought to blow your mind. That ought to be mysterious to you. And you ought to just say, God, help me figure out what that looks like. You mean when I'm at Valley Fair Mall, you're in me right there. And you're with me. You go to Valley Fair Mall. Absolutely. So to to walk in this. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Fourthly is this, that eating involves trust. This is a picture of two shrimp that we named. I forgot their names now. This was in China. We went to pick up Cassie. And they had their eyes on and they were staring at us. And it was some kind of a soup. And it was rather disconcerting, I must say. Um, But any food that you eat involves some level of trust. Okay? You better, you better be friends with the chef. Whoever's cooking for you, you better have a good relationship with, right? Um, because there's, there's trust that goes on. Even if you make the food yourself, do you know where those tomatoes were grown? Did you personally go pick out every ingredient? No, there's trust to any food that goes through your mouth. And by faith, you are, I mean, think about this today. When you go eat your lunch today, by faith, you are, you are trusting you're like, I, don't, I can't have faith. I'm a logical person. I need to see it in science and I need to see the scientific method. Well, you don't do that to your pizza. You go by faith. You just walk forward and you say, look, I've eaten pizza at this round table for X number of years. I'm going to do it again by faith. So it is spiritually. This metaphor of eating the bread of life implies belief. Jesus offers himself as a meal. And with this meal, he offers a promise. Verse 51, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. So the question for you and I is this. Are we feasting on the bread of life? And are you walking in the hope of this promised eternal life that comes with this meal? Do we ever think this way? As we celebrate communion, I want some of these thoughts to be kind of rolling through our head. Finally, number five is this, that eating is personal. No one can do it for you. And that's exactly how it is spiritually. Um, newborn newborns do this with moms. I think they just kind of torture new moms a little bit. But the very first act of a will is a newborn, whether they're going to eat or not. And as much as you can want to try and get that kid to eat, sometimes they just don't eat. 
And mom and dad are freaking out because the kid's not eating. But you cannot eat for someone else, can you? And so it is spiritually. We, we, we want to make decisions for people. We want to say, yeah, but this is what's best for you. You need this. And yet we can't. As parents, I hope all of us are on our knees, not only for our kids, but for other people's kids. And in this community, we're just entrusting our kids to God, saying, God, please, please, would you gift them with eyes to see, with ears to hear your truth, and to come into a saving knowledge of who you are. Verse 57, he, uh, he who feeds on me will live because, because of me. It's, it's an individual thing. It's not something that, that other people can do. The action commanded at the, at the Last Supper is so much more than a meal or mere ritual. It really is holy communion. He says, do this in remembrance of me. There's an action involved in it. We want to just close uh, kind of the speaking portion this morning with how. How do we keep communion holy? Again, we always already kind of said that this is the Lord's table. It's not ours. And so we're going to follow the host's instructions on, on communion. Um, sometimes communion can be celebrated really solemn and really contemplative. And that's an appropriate way to celebrate communion. Sometimes there's a deep sense of reverence and awe that, that, that comes with it. Um, at other times, and I think we probably fail more on this end if we, if we failed on a spectrum end, is that there's a, there's a joy and a release to it and, a, and a, a family element. One time we set up our chairs, remember this, where we set up kind of facing each other and we just had the communion elements in the middle. And it's like, let's think of this as a family meal. You know, at Thanksgiving, we don't just set the table lengthwise and have one person up here talking. We, we sit around a table and we look at each other and we interact and we engage. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's hilarity and all kinds of, you know, stuff going on. It's not quite so, so quiet and solemn. And that's, that's a part of how communion should be celebrated sometimes. First uh, Corinthians, back to first Corinthians now, and then I'll kind of leave you there. First Corinthians 11, uh, just picking up from where we just left. Paul had just uh, gone back to the, the, the gospel account of Jesus saying, hey, this, do this in remembrance of me. Every single time you drink this club, cup, um, do it in remembrance of me. And he adds this thing, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 is going to start to give us some indicators again, maybe of what not to do and what to do. Verse 27 says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Here's what we know from that. We know there's an unworthy manner to come and take communion. Your ears ought to to just perk up at this point and say, Okay, I want to make sure I don't want to do it in an unworthy manner. I want to please my Lord. I want to do it the way that that he would want. Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks the cup. For if any for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Code for dead. Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And now just indicating that there are other issues that didn't make it to the top of the list. He says this. And when I come, I will give you further directions. That's probably just code for there's other things I need to talk to you guys about, but that can wait. This is of utmost importance. Let me just point out a couple thoughts here, and then we'll be going into a, a season of communion here. 
Verse 27 is not to do it in an unworthy manner. Let me just put this out to you. One of the ways I think we can do this in an unworthy manner is to do this in a frivolous sense, where we just kind of come and do ritual. At best, it's just meaningless to come and either not be in relationship with the Lord, not be in communion with the Lord, and just to, and just to, to, to take it. But at worst, we're actually eating and drinking judgment on ourselves, it says. And that sounds like a really sobering thought, because it is. Verse 28, it says to examine. And this, this word used here is test to approve. So we're to examine ourselves. Sometimes there's this popular notion that says you should never question your faith. You should never, ever doubt it. And I would say, man, there's all kinds of places in Scripture, actually. There's security in being a believer. There's a finished work of Jesus on the Christ that's absolute and unchanging. However, you should examine yourself regularly. You should come before the Lord and say, Lord, am I approved? And, and, and what, what do I have? There's a great passage in Matthew chapter 5, 23. I was just reading this two days ago, and it popped out of my head. Man, this is a part of the examination process. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, here's the direction. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now, that's talking specifically about offerings and bringing things to offering. However, that's a part of worship, isn't it? And so rather than come and worship and have this blockade, this sin going on, he says, deal with it. The, the remedy to not eating and drinking judgment on yourself is examining. What are we to examine? We're to examine, is there self-indulgence going on in my life or mutual edification? Am I looking out for number one or am I looking out for other people? Is there discord or unity? Do my words promote discord or unity? Am I building up? Am I tearing down? Um, verse 33 says others first. Basically just reiterates this idea to wait for each other. And one of the ways that you're going to honor Jesus is if you, is if you mimic him. And he put other people first. He put their needs first. So every time you do that, don't wait for the approval of the other person. Don't wait for the nod or the thank you or any of that. You just know that the Lord's smiling down on you. When you're mimicking your father, it's honoring and worshiping him. I want to invite the band to come on back up. And um, this morning, what, we're, what, what our hope is, what our prayer is, is this. Our prayer is that People in this room this morning will have already and will continue to, to, to draw near to God. Now, there may be more categories in this, but let me offer three categories of people that may be sitting in this room this morning. The first category is, um, is the, the Christian who is communing with God. This is someone who, 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 is, who walked in here this morning and, um, and because of a life of repentance knows they're they have a long way to grow and all of that, but, but they're one with the Lord and, and they just can't wait to come and celebrate communion. My exhortation to you would be this. Remember your first love. Really allow this to be a significant part of your week, especially maybe in light of some of the thoughts that have been given today. Come with gratitude. Come realizing this is a sacred moment that we're participating in. A second group might be Christians who are not communing with God because they are holding on to certain sins. And there are some times that we walk into corporate worship and we're glad that our hearts and minds can't be read like a book. 
Because it's easy to kind of put on the outside and appear like the next guy or gal that we're one with the Lord and that we're worshiping and we're being demonstrative or whatever it might be. But we know we're holding on to secret certain sins. My exhortation to you would be this. I want to warn you of the seriousness of sin. It's death. It's death to us. It's getting the news that you have cancer and going, I can handle it. I'm good. Thank you. We can't. God is faithful and the only one who is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Final exhortation might be this. Before coming to communion, maybe you just need to spend some time with the Lord confessing, (coughs) repenting. Maybe there needs to uh, have happened before you come take communion in this room. Go to your brother. Go to your sister and make things right. I've had people come to me, sensitive people to the Lord, deeply spiritual people who I admire, come and say, I want to just apologize for that word that I said to you. It wasn't right. And I'm like, ah, I, I didn't think anything of it. No big deal. And they said, no, it is a big deal because God's just really impressed on me. I, just, I felt so heavy hearted about it. It was wrong to do it. And I'm kind of trying to dismiss it, kind of let them off the hook, or I didn't even pay attention to it. But they were sensitive to the Lord. That every word uttered is going to be judged. And they just they, they, they didn't want to do anything to cause an offense. That's remembering Jesus at the moment of your speaking. So this morning before we take communion, if that's you, go to your brother or sister. Go, go make a cell phone call if you need to. Seek reconciliation and then come back and, and, and worship. There may be a third category, and that's the non-Christians who have yet to give their life to Christ. Maybe you're here at the invite of a friend. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you know you've never placed your, your, your faith in Christ. Here's what I want to offer to you. Please, comfortably don't participate. You don't need to be uncomfortable about it. Part of how we do communion in this way is that over the next four songs, you're going to be invited to come to one of these two tables and celebrate the Lord's Supper by, by grabbing a piece of the bread, dipping it into the juice and, and eating it. We're not watching to see who did and who didn't do it. That's none of our business at all. It's the Lord's table. It's not our table. At the same time, I would exhort you in this way. Maybe you would allow this moment. Maybe you would allow this morning and this mystery of celebrating communion as kind of your walking the aisle to receive Christ. And for the very first moment in your life, you are found to be in Christ because you have just said, Lord, I do repent. And I do want to place my trust in this promise of eternal life. I need cleansing. Would you come into my life and be Lord of it? I would would invite you to to come and to celebrate communion and allow this to be a kind of stake in the ground. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, grateful for the communion elements this morning. We're thankful, God, that you've given us instruction about what it looks like to celebrate this sacrament, this mystery that you've left for us, God. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating baptisms and we'll be remembering our own baptism, God. And I pray this morning that you would help us not just to remember while we're at church, but God, when we're tempted to satisfy appetites with worldliness, with sin, with our own Cover up of goodness, God. Help us to remember you. Father, when we're lied to this week, when we're told that we're stuck and we'll never change and things will never be different, God, would you help us to remember you? 
Help us to proclaim the Lord's death as our source of power and freedom. And God, when all hope is vaporized and all we see is heartache, I pray that we would do this and remember Christ. Remember that you're living in us. Remember that you've empowered us, God, to live this life. By faith, we accept that. Amen.